All right, give the Lord a hand. Let's do it. Let, let's bow together and, and pray. Father, God, I, I, I think about that day. and uh, Father, the Bible says that, uh, that one day Jesus Christ is going to come for His people. And those who believe, those who have been saved and who have been born again and who have been bought with His blood, His sacrifice has paid for their sins. They're going to be taken away. God, that is going to be an awesome and glorious moment. And Father, I just pray that we'll look at that moment with excitement and anticipation. But Father, I'd also pray for those. There's some here this morning. They've never, they've never surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. They may not know enough about Him yet. They may never really heard a lot about Him. But the fact is, Father, that He died on a on an old cross two thousand years ago, a perfect sacrifice. And he took my place. He died to pay for my sins. And not for mine only, but the sins of the whole world. And Father, I just, for those that may not have made that discovery, my prayer is that today they would realize that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him would not perish, but have life in his name. God, I just pray that we would get our hands around that today. You love us that much. We love you. Thank you, Father. We worship you. We give you glory. We give you honor and we give you praise in the strong name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, thank you, band. Take uh, awesome job. All right, take your Bibles to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you're new with us today, we started a series a few weeks ago called Your Questions, His Answers. And what I wanted to do was to give our people, the people of our church, an opportunity uh, to ask some questions that they've always wanted to know about the Bible. And then we would uh, see if we could take the Bible and answer their questions. And so we've uh, had some really uh, challenging messages the last couple of weeks, uh, probably a few things that have made uh, the conversation at lunch. I think today will be no different probably in terms of... Uh, a challenging issue. I mean, we've talked about why there's evil in the world. We talked about is the Bible really true? Uh, we talked two weeks ago. Is Jesus really the the only way to heaven? And then last Sunday, um, we dealt with the issue: if you're saved, are you secure? forever. And uh, we looked in the scriptures. Well, today we're going to tackle, we're going to really change gears, but we're going to talk about a subject that, that, that may make the lunch conversation. Uh, you know, I told you we're going to have a business meeting. We're discussing the budget. So today we're going to talk about, this is a question I got, why should I tithe? And so today I want to spend a few minutes talking about why should we give uh, a portion of our income to the local church? Now, um, it's interesting because uh, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, when you talk about money in the church, or probably it's true in any um, charitable organization, but it's especially true for money, it, it, teen, it tends to become a little bit of an emotional issue. People respond differently because uh, they're from different places in their background. Uh, some people think, and I've heard this, uh, some people think, well, all the church wants is your money. And so I, I always think about that when I preach. In fact, we were at a softball party some months ago, 
And I sat down and spoke with a guy. He was of a different denominational persuasion than, than uh, most of us are. And, but we were talking, and he was talking about his church, and he said, well, you know, all they want is my money. And I thought, you've missed, you've really missed out. And I hope today, if that's your mentality, I hope you see today that that is really not it at all. Uh, but, but we'll get to that. Well, some other people get a little uh, nervous uh, about money because they've heard, you've heard the TV preachers or you've heard the guy on the radio that comes up with some bizarre promise and just says, hey, if you send me this amount of money, then, uh, then you'll get this amount of money in return. You've probably heard some preachers like that or you've heard some of these, I don't know if they're really preachers, you've heard some of these guys on TV and they talk about, you know, faith giving. And uh, y'all, anybody here know who Robert Tilton is? Anybody remember him? Okay. Now, we were in India about 10 years ago, and we turned on the TV in India. And guess who's on there? Robert Tilton. And he's making these promises. You know, and so some of us, we've heard, we've heard these guys, and they make these, and they, they talk this smack, and it makes us want to just throw up. And so we've got a little bit of a taste in our mouth about this whole issue of church and money and given. And so for some people it makes them a little nervous to talk about that. But, but we're going to get past that this morning. You just stay with me. Some people don't really understand. They don't understand what the Bible says about this matter of being a good steward of what God has entrusted to us. And I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. And then, and then some of us, some of us, we get a little queasy when, when people talk about money, whether it's at church or whether it's at any charitable organization. Because the fact of the matter is, financially, you're struggling or, or we're struggling and we think, you know, I'd really like to give to my church. I'd really like to give to this organization. Or I'd really like to be a part of this charitable group. But I just can't right now. And I understand that and that's okay. But here's what I want to say. Let me just give you a commercial. If, if part of the reason uh, giving is a, is a little bit of a touchy subject with you because you're struggling financially, the Bible has a lot to say about that. We would love to help you. In fact, we have a couple in our church their passion is to help people uh, get out of debt and learn how to wrestle with the issues. And they teach a class on Wednesday night. It's just getting started. It's called Financial Peace University. It meets right over in room 103, 104 on Wednesday nights. Uh, you can drop your kids off at Awana. You can bring your students to, uh, to FSM, First Student Ministry. And you can go and spend an hour and a half learning about how to get your handle on your finances. And so... Uh, the messengers would love to have you come and be a part of that. So if that's something you're interested in, uh, I want to encourage you to do that. But the bottom line is, let, let's face it, times are a little tough. The economy's kind of challenging. And we've all got a lot of places to spend our money. In fact, if you're like most people, you've got more places to spend your money than you have money to spend. And so you have to make choices. Uh, you know, there's plenty of places that we can invest our money. So why should we invest them in the kingdom of God? Why, why should we give money for the kingdom of God? Well, I want to address that issue this morning because as a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to be committed to giving a portion of your income to God's kingdom through the local church. And I want to show you biblically uh, why you need to do that this morning. And I want to give you, you know, uh, hopefully a few thoughts on maybe how uh, you can do that as time permits. But the Bible says a lot about money, more than you can ever imagine, uh, if you, unless you really sit down and look for it. Many of Jesus' parables talk about the wise use of money and resources. And I believe that's true for at least two reasons. Number one, Jesus wanted us to get the most out of life, and so he wants us to manage our resources well. So he taught a lot about that. 
But there's another reason. Uh, the, we know this is true. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say money's evil. This is the love of money is the root of all evil. And so Jesus taught a lot about that because there were a lot of people that loved their money and they weren't willing to let go of it. And Jesus wants us to use money as a tool. Money's a great tool. It's a poor master. And so Jesus gave us a lot of principles and a lot of truth in his word so we would use money as a tool uh, for the work of the kingdom and for getting the most out of life but not as a master. So any discussion about, uh, about giving and about tithing, I think should include examining what the Bible says about why we should give. So we're going to do that. We're going to look at a passage. We're going to go to a bunch of places. And so uh, in honor of the Lord's word, I want to invite you to stand with me. Uh, we're going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And it's kind of a long passage, but if you'll just stay with me, there's some real truth in here that's important. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The service that you perform, important word service, is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thank you for standing with me and, and reading the word. You can be seated. I want to share with you this morning uh, about four truths out of this passage. And so I want to kind of set up our discussion of, of why you, you as a believer in Jesus Christ need to give. And so there's kind of, there's one principle that everything else kind of flows out of that. So I'm going to first, first of all, if you, if you'd like to take notes, I'll just write down this phrase, the principle of giving. And I want to share with you this principle, but let me just talk about it a minute. This is not just, this is not just a, a money principle, but there's a principle that governs this idea of giving that, that transcends money. It transcends time. It really transcends time. It's a, it's kind of a, uh, it's a, number one, it's an agricultural or an agrarian principle. Number two, it's a biblical principle. And number three, it is a permanent principle. This principle will always be true. As long as the earth exists, this principle that I'm going to share with you will always be true. And you need to understand it, you need to write it down, and you need to live it because it's always going to be true. I had a prayer partner when I was in Georgia, and he was with me in India when we were watching Robert Tilton on TV. We went to India three times on mission trips. But, he, but one of the things, and he was one of these guys that, uh, that he really... He really trusted the Lord in the area of giving and in the area of investing in his life. But he used to talk about this principle. He would, he would pray about the principle of seed time and harvest. And I'd always thought about sowing and reaping. 
But he praised his principle of seed time and harvest. So I went in the Bible and looked it up. And in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, way back in the first book, this was right after the flood. I mean, as soon as God flooded the earth, he, he shared with them this principle. Listen to what it says, verse 22. It says, as long as the earth endures. Now, how long is that? As long as the earth endures. Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. And so there's this principle, this principle called seed time and harvest. And the Bible says, as long as the earth endures, this principle is going to be true. It's the principle of seed time and harvest. You could say it as the principle of sowing and reaping. But it's, it's very simple. It's very simple. It applies to your money. It applies to your time. It applies to your friendship. It applies to your attitudes. And here's what it is. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Whatever you sow, you are going to reap. That is just, a, that is a principle. It's true about money. It's true about friendship. It's true in a lot of different areas, which we'll talk about. But you need to understand that you reap what you sow. It's just a principle. Man, it's from way back in the beginning. It's going to be here. See, here's the thing. We make choices and our choices make us. Why? Because whatever you sow, one day you're going to reap. And so understand, we reap what we sow, but we reap what we sow. Great verse, Luke chapter 6. You've probably heard a few sermons on this. I've not only heard some, I've preached some on this. Uh, But I've always wondered about the context because it's kind of odd. And David Jeremiah kind of gave me some insight this week. But let me just read the verse. You've heard this verse. It's Luke 6, verse 38. In fact, we like to, we like to write it down. When you've been, if you've ever been in a, a church stewardship campaign or maybe a building fund campaign, you've heard this, the verse. It says, this was Jesus. Jesus said, Luke, Luke 6, 38, he says, Given it will be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And we, we read that verse and we think, well, God says that if you give, you're going to be given more. And with the measure you give, uh, it's going to be measured out to you. And that's true. But that is not primarily a, only about money. In fact, if you're in Luke, I want you to look with me uh, at verse 37. Jesus is talking uh, to all these followers and he says, do not judge and you will not be judged. In other words, if you sow grace, you'll reap grace. He says, do not condemn, and you'll not be condemned. He says, forgive, and you'll be forgiven. And then he says, give, and it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, your cup running over. And so here's, here's what I want you to understand. In every arena of your life, in every arena of my life, whatever we sow, one day we're going to reap. And if, if, if we're an unforgiving, bitter, hateful person, and we sow that into relationships we have, and that's how we treat our friends, and that's how we treat our spouse, and that's how we treat our coworkers, guess what's going to happen? We're going to reap what we sow. If we sow condemnation, we're going to reap it. On the contrary... If we're forgiving and gracious and merciful, guess what's going to happen? People are going to come into our life. 
And they're going to be forgiving and gracious and merciful. Now, does that mean everybody will? Probably not. But God just makes a promise. He says, there's just this principle, seed time and harvest. If you plant this, you're going to get this. You reap what you sow. Second idea of that principle, not only do you reap what you sow, but the Bible teaches that you reap greater than you sow. You reap greater than you sow. And that's why we have a garden. If you have a garden. My brother-in-law and, and my sister, they're, in the, they're corn farmers in central Nebraska. And they got hogs and corn and cows and soybeans. But, but they live by this principle. You always, you always reap greater than you sow. Always. It's just a principle. It's just the way God set it up, the way it works. It's going to work like that now. It worked like that then. It's going to work like that later on because that's seed time and harvest. You reap what you sow. You reap greater than you sow. And then there's one other principle that I want you to share with you. And that is that you reap later than you sow. The harvest, listen to this. The harvest always comes after the planting. Anybody have a garden growing up? Anybody? Okay, a couple of you. Anybody know what radishes are? This is, anybody know what radishes are? Okay. Uh, anybody like radishes? I, I, I don't like radishes, didn't like them when I was little. But here's what I, when I was a little kid, we had a garden every year. And here's what I found out. If you plant corn, it takes like three and a half months. Or if you plant watermelons, it takes like three and a half months. But a radish, 28 days, you can pick a radish. And so every year I'd have me a little, I'd buy one pack of radishes and I'd have me a little row of radishes about this long. I didn't like them. I don't think anybody in our family liked them. Uh, my mom would, when I harvested them, I can remember the, they look like little bitty turnips. They're white. They got a little red top on them and they kind of got a little peppery taste to them. But my mom would take my radish and she'd cut it up and put it on a salad that I wouldn't eat. <laughs> but I liked them because I'm not patient. And you could grow a radish really quickly. Now, I tell you all, I say all that to say this. We live in a culture that wants things to happen quickly. That's why we go drive through at McDonald's. Because we're conditioned to have everything at our disposal. And when you get out, I, I, I bet half of you, when you get out of church, I bet half of us within an hour will be checking our texts, our emails, or our tweets. Just because we need to know. Is something going on? In fact, some of you are already looking down at your phone right now going, three texts. Oh. Why? Because we, we're a right now generation. And, we, and, and this prince, but, but listen, you, you need to understand. In fact, some people, they want to give money to God. Or they want to give money to, or they want to invest in a friendship. And they say, well, you know, I was nice to this person today. And then we think they're going to be our best friend tomorrow. It just doesn't work that way. Some people think, well, you know, I, I gave my tithe today. You think you're going to go to the mailbox on Thursday. It's going to be a check. You know, it's more than what you gave. Now, the, the principle's true. But Bart, my, my brother-in-law, he, he doesn't plant corn today and then go out to the field on Thursday and go, where's the plants at? Why? Because it, 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 you always reap later than you sow. 
And so those are just principles. Over our, they're true in everything. They're true in your friendships. They're true in your relationships. They're true in your finances. They're true in your investing. How many of you have ever invested in a mutual fund? If you're going to invest in a mutual fund, what does the financial planner tell you? If you're not going to wait five years, what? Don't invest. Why? Because you reap later than you sow. And if you want to understand how God's provision works in your life, you got to understand you reap what you sow, you reap greater than you sow, and you reap later than you sow. So that's the principle of giving. But if we go back to our text in 2 Corinthians, I want us to look secondly at what I would call uh, the promise of giving. Look at verse 6. It kind of introduces this idea of reaping and sowing or sowing and reaping. But, but listen, listen to this promise. It says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It's almost like, it's, it's almost like God saying, if you're, if you're cheap with me, I'm going to be cheap with you. In fact, that's not almost what God's saying. That's what God's saying. If you're scanty with your sowing, you're going to be scanty with your reaping. If you're never friendly to anybody, unless you've got a whole lot of money, you ain't going to have a lot of friends. You know why? Because there's a promise that says if you reap spare or sow sparingly, you're going to reap spread. That's just a problem. That's just the way it is. That's just kind of the way it works. And, and some people, listen, it, some people, it takes them their whole life to figure that out. But you need to understand there's a second part to that promise, and that is whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And so that's just a principle that you need to understand. Now, let me just, this is a good time to say this, I think, because uh, we're talking about money, and I want you to understand, it's not that God wants your money, and it's really not even that God needs your money, because He doesn't need your money. The earth and everything in it are the Lord's. If He wants my money or your money, He can get it anytime He wants it. He can take it. He's bigger than we are. He's tougher than we are. He has more than we have. It's not that God needs or wants our money. God wants our heart. And remember what Jesus said? Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Isn't that right? That's right. And so God teaches us these principles and gives us these promises about money because God, He wants to bless us, but He wants to have our heart. And, and see, here's the thing. When God gets our heart, He gets our money. That, he gets everything. And in fact, listen to what the, listen to this promise from Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. You ought to mark this one in your Bible. It says, one man gives freely yet gains even more. Now listen to this. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. Did you know there are Christians who have never figured this out. There are believers, they've never learned to trust God in their money, and they always skimp on their, on their giving. 
And they, they always say, well, you know, I can't, I can't afford to give. I don't have any money to give. And the reason why? Because they don't give. And it says the guy that, that withholds it, that holds it back unduly, he's going to come to poverty. But the guy who gives it graciously and generously, he's going to be blessed. Now, that's a paradox, isn't it? I mean, our culture teaches that if you just hold on, if you just hold on and you just be greedy, you'll get more. But God says, no, that's not the way it works. If you let it go, God will pour it back in. But there are Christians, I'm telling you, I promise you, there are Christians, they spend their whole life and all they ever give God is a tip. And all they ever get is a tip. Because they don't understand the promise that if you if you sow sparingly, it's what you're going to get. But if you sow generously, if you sow generously, God's going to bless you. Let, let, there's another verse. Let me look at verse eight. If you're there, it says, uh, "Man, listen to the wording of this." And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need. You will abound in every good work. I can tell you this. This is the honest truth. I learned to tithe. I actually learned to tithe uh, when I was a uh, probably growing up. But I went to work for the Beef Council in Austin, Texas in the summer of 1985. And I, and I decided to give my first 10%. I cashed my check, gave my first 10% to God, and God began to teach me a lesson. And then I went to seminary, and God just kind of validated that lesson because I was a poor boy in seminary. I remember one time I, I just couldn't, I didn't think I could write a check. I wrote it anyway. And then at church that night, they said, you ought to give. And I thought, well, I've already gave more than I could afford, and I gave some more. I went to work the next day, and here's what God did for me. Here's what God's done for me. Ever since I started tithing and trusting God, he's always given me every single thing I need. Everything. And a lot of what I want. Now, do I get everything I want? No. Do you give your kids everything you want? You shouldn't. We don't need everything we want. We need everything we need. And when we get the extras, it's gravy. But but Paul says, listen, would you trust God... He's got, listen, he's got it all. He's got it all. And he'll give you everything you need. It's just a promise that he made. There's another promise. Look at verse 10. You need to pay attention to this one. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. Now, listen to this statement. And will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Listen to this. If you... Now, stay with me. If you want to grow spiritually, if you want to grow spiritually and you want God to enlarge your faith and enlarge your spiritual development, you've got to give. Because you've got to be willing to... Anybody remember the movie Ghost? Anybody? Anybody remember Oda Mae and she had the $4 million check and she had to give it to the nuns? I, I was going to show you that, but I was afraid the language wouldn't do the deal. She, she, man, she she had to pry that check out of her hand, and she didn't want to give it. And God says, listen, if you'll just let go, you'll grow up. And you'll see God do things you've never seen him do. And God will begin to work in your life in ways that he's never worked. And God will provide every single thing you need. But you've got to be willing to trust him. He's just, that's a promise that he's made. He's, he's promised. He says, listen, if you'll trust me, the one who supplies the seed, 
He will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You've seen, listen, I've seen believers, they've never grown their whole life. It might be because they've never given much except a tip their whole life. God's made some promises about giving. God's given us uh, a principle of giving. And then let's, number three, let's talk about God's purpose for our giving uh, God's purpose for our giving. Look at verse 12, if you're still in 2 Corinthians 9. Uh, listen to verse 12. It says, this service, that's giving, that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people. So let's just start right there. Let me give you one purpose. One purpose for our giving is to supply the needs of God's people. Well, when you give your money through the local church, or at least this is how it works here, and in most churches I think it's probably true, when you give your tithe to the church, it goes into a general fund, and that general fund funds our budget. And so if you give money to the general fund, then a portion of it uh, goes to all the different areas of the budget. And so what happens is when you say, well, what is a budget? Well, some of you understand, or what does a church budget look like? Well, let me just say it like this. When you give your tithe to our church, you help fund the budget, and in that budget, we pay for children's ministry, we do youth ministry, we do uh, senior adult ministry, we do benevolence for, for needy people in our area, we do local mission projects, we pay our staff salaries, we pay the utilities and all here at the church, we pay our mortgage, like many of you, not all of you, but like many of you, we have a mortgage. And just like it comes every month. And so when you give your tithe and offering, it goes into this general fund and it pays for all these things. It pays for our building, it pays for our staff, it pays for our utilities, it pays for our ministry and missions and different things. And so that's where your money goes. Now, when you give your money to that, roughly 10% of it, we kind of have an odd little way we calculate this, which we're going to fix, by the way, but, but about 10% of the money that comes in that's not designated, we give to the Southern Baptist Convention to take care of Southern Baptist causes. In other words, we give a tithe of the general offering to another area of ministry, and when we give to the Southern Baptist causes, we do things like disaster relief, North American missions, we train preachers through the seminary, we do international missions. And so so what we do as a church, when you give money to us, we give a tenth, a tithe of that, to other causes to help do mission and other things uh, all over the world. And so that, so what happens is when we give our offering in a little while, our offering that we give helps fund our budget, which does the ministry of our church. That's how it works. It helps. So your giving helps supply people's needs, not only here in our church, but here in our community and even across the world. But there's a second purpose for giving. Not only does the scripture say it supplies the needs of God's people, but read on in, in verse 12. It says, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it is also overflowing. Now listen to this. In many expressions to God. Then look back up in verse 11. It says, you'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And so, so when you and I give our offering, it says thank you to God. That's one of the things that it does. It, it's a way for us to say thank you to God. God, thank you for what you've done for me. 
God, thank you for giving your son to die on the cross for me. I had an old friend in Georgia, and he told me one time, he said, Mike, he says, he says, since the beginning of time, cash has always been a great way to say thank you. Because I'd ask him, what do we do for somebody? He says, give them cash. Anybody, is there anybody here that does not like to get a cash gift? Anybody? Okay, I didn't think so. Why? Because it's just a nice, it's just a way to say thank you. Well, when we give our offerings, it's a way for us to say thank you to God. But Paul says more than that, it overflows in many other thanksgivings to God. In fact, look in verse 13. It says, middle of verse 13, it says, Men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel. In other words, when we give to God's work, we cause other people to praise God. And then look down at verse 15. It says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You say, well, how does that work? Well, let me give you an illustration. Uh, David Jeremiah was listening to him this week, and he gave this great illustration of how this principle of uh, overflowing thanksgiving works. And he says, here's, here's how it looks. Let's just suppose that we take an offering, we give money to missions, and we have the, we have the blessing uh, we're able to say, thank you, God, and God, we're going to thank you by giving an offering for missions. And so what happens is we're thankful that we can give an offering for missions. Well, the money goes to the mission board, and the mission board, obviously, they're thankful because they now have money that they can send to their missionaries. And so what they do, however they need to uh, arrange it, maybe change it over into different currency or deposit the money in their bank or whatever, but they'll send that money to the missionaries, and the missionaries are thankful because God has provided money for them. And then the missionaries, they'll go over here and they'll plant a church. And when they plant a church, they'll begin to reach people for Jesus. And people have come to know Christ. And when they come to know Christ, they're going to be thankful because they have eternal life. And they've moved from death unto life. And so they're going to be praising God and thankful to God. And so what happens is the news comes all the way back to us. And we realize we gave this money and it went to the mission board and then it went to the missionaries and then the missionaries went out into the jungle and they won these people to Christ and now we're going to have a reward in heaven and so we're giving thanks be to God and so there's this circle that just goes around. We're grateful that we can give. They're grateful that we gave. Others are grateful that they came to know Christ and so God gets the glory. And so when you give and when I give God takes our gift and he glorifies himself. I was thinking, we sang that song at the beginning. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God forever. What is glory to God? God, That's how God makes himself known. God's glory is the way he makes himself known. And guess what happens? When you and I give money to kingdom work, God takes it and makes himself known. And if you give to God, and if you trust Him, and you give to missions, and you do all these things that God's Word tells you to do, God's going to honor that now. And God's going to reward you for that in eternity. And the very best place, I'm telling you, the very best place that we can invest our money is in eternity. God's economy never has a recession, ever, ever. And he's adding it up. And did you know the Bible says, I think it's in Revelation, that Jesus says when he comes, he's going to have his rewards with him. He's going to come and he's going to bless me. He's going to say, listen, you were faithful in a little. Here's much. You were faithful in the little things. You're going to get, here's a kingdom. Manage this one for me. 
And so I'm just saying, listen, listen. One of the purposes of forgiving is it shows, it, it, it shows or brings thanksgiving. It says thank you to God and brings glory to Him. It supplies the needs of our people. And then there's one other reason. There's many other reasons. But let me just share one other reason out of our text of why you need to give and why I need to give. And this is really important. I want you to look with me at verse 13 again. It says, because of the service by which you have, now listen to this, look at this phrase, by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God. Did you know? Did you know that how we give is evidence of our faith? That's what Paul said. It's proof. It it, it just proves. It, It says a lot about our faith. You know, again, if we give God a tip, it says how important God is. If we give God a tithe, it says how important God is. If we give God a, a, an abundant offering, it just said. It just, it's just proof. It's just the evidence of what God's done in our life. And so Paul just says, listen, when, when, you, when you give your offering, it shows the genuineness of of your faith. Did you know that our whole life is an offering? There's a verse, 1 Corinthians 4 2, you see it up there? It says, Not as required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Did you know that one day, one day we're going to stand in the presence of the Majesty on high and He's going to audit how we spent our life? He's going to audit how we managed our life. I don't know how that works for you, but that's scary to me because. You know, teachers are judged to a stricter account, by the way, just so you'll know that. If you ever think, well, the preacher shouldn't say anything about money, just remember, I, I get a stricter judgment. So pray for me, <laughs> okay? But it shows, it gives evidence. It gives evidence of our faith. And so giving has this, this awesome and ultimate purpose. And so we've talked about the purpose of giving. We've talked about the promise and the, and the, um, the principle. Let me, just, let me just share with you quickly kind of the practice of giving. Just a couple practical things uh, that you need to do. Number one, if you're going to give, you've you got to plan it. Uh, because what will happen is if, if, you don't take, if you don't take God's money off the top, um, It'll just, you know, if you kind of wait till you get to the end of the month and say, oh, I'm going to give whatever's left, guess what? Won't be anything left. So you've got to plan it. I, I, you may have heard this story. I, I remember uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones included this story. But there was a family. They farmed, and they had, two, they had two baby calves. I don't know where they got them, but they had two baby calves. One of them was white, and one of them was red. And the husband came in and said, honey, we've got two calves. He says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to feed both of these calves. And when they grow up, you know, we're going to sell one and give the money to the Lord and we're going to slaughter the other one and we're going to have it for ourselves. And the wife says, well, which one's the Lord? He said, well, it doesn't matter which one's the Lord. He says, we'll just feed them both. And when they grow up, we'll, that'll all take care of itself. He says, it doesn't really matter. A few days later, he comes in and he's really bummed out. And she says, honey, what's wrong? He said, the Lord's calf died. <laughs> and she said, which one was the Lord's? He said, well, the white one died. The white one's the Lord's. The Lord's calf died. See, that's what happens when we don't decide to give God his. Then all of a sudden, his dies. And it goes somewhere else. And and I don't know how it works for you, but if I'm not intentional at giving my money or if I'm not intentional about saving my money, I'm pretty good at spending my money. 
It just disappears. It, it, does anybody, like if you have a big bill, and I, some of you say, I've never had a big bill. But if you have like a big bill, if you keep it tucked, if you ever break it up, it's just gone. But if you tuck it away, you, if you plan, you say, I can save this thing. Because you plan on it. But if you just break it up, you $10 here, $5 there, kid wants something over there, before you know it, your money's all gone. And if we don't plan to give to the Lord, if you don't plan it, it won't happen. And again, it's, it's not that God's got to have your money. I'm just telling you, he's got all he wants. And here's what I found out. If I don't give it to him, stuff breaks. He winds up with it anyway. You, you're not going to get to keep it if you're a believer. God, God's not going to bless you if you don't trust him. You'd be putting a transmission in your car, your wash machine to go out, and all that stuff happens you won't get the money, and you won't get the blessing either. So just trust God, give him what's his, and let him honor that and bless you for it. So you need to plan it. Secondly, the second principle or practice is it ought to be pleasurable. In other words, Paul said God loves a cheerful giver. Don't, don't be begrudging. And it's easy for me to say that because you've, you've had this happen sometimes. You've got something. I remember this happened one time. I may have told you this story, but this happened. It was, it was bad. Man, I got a, from an anniversary, church gave me a $500 gift card. And I was thinking about some boots or something. And we had a missionary come to our church. And they were moving to Alaska. Husband, wife, two kids. Driving to Alaska from Georgia. And the Holy Spirit said, you could give them that card. That could buy gas all the way to Alaska. And I was like, Lord, that's my, that's my card, you know. And so I had this debate. I was like, God, it's not, it's not that I, I'll, I'll give them $500. I just want this card. And so guess what? I wound up giving them the card. But I'm not sure I was a cheerful. It took me a while to get there. Because we kind of like to hang on to We're like Otome. You are like Otome. Whether you know it or not, you like her. And I'm like her because we would like to hold on to it. But when we give it joyfully and pleasurably, God will honor it. And it's going to come back somewhere, somehow, some way. God is going to bless you for it. God gave me some more money the next year. I still got the boots. I wore them, I think, Friday. So God, God will do what he says he'll do. So you, practically, it ought to be planned. It ought to be pleasurable. And then you ought to give proportionately. Um, some people argue about, they say, well, tithe is not a New Testament principle. I don't know if you've heard that because I've read some stuff online this week. And people say, well, you know, you shouldn't tithe and all this stuff. Well, there, let me just give you two verses. Matthew twenty three twenty three. Jesus talks about, uh, he compares tithing the mint, the cumin, which is a bunch of little spices, because they were so legalistic. He compares that with justice, grace, and mercy. And then he says, you ought to do both of them. You ought to keep tithing. But then there's a, there's a passage in, in Hebrews. And I don't know if you remember this story, but Abraham went out into battle and he won a, he, uh, captured a bunch of spoils. And the Bible says in Hebrews 7, verse 1 and 2, says that Melchizedek was the king of Salem and a priest of the Most High God. And, it, and the Bible says, now Abraham, he was a, I mean, he was chosen of God. And you just got to remember him. I mean, he was God's man. And yet the Bible says he gave a tenth 
of everything, the first tent to Melchizedek. And so he gave this king of Salem a tithe. And a lot of people say, well, it's not in the New Testament. Sure it is. It's in Hebrews 7. But they, they say, well, the tithe is the law, the Old Testament law. And one of the arguments they give is the Jews had to give like 23 and a third percent, which is true, but that's a whole other sermon. But here's the thing. The law came through Moses. Abraham came before Moses. Abraham was the father of our faith. The Bible says Abraham was justified by his faith. And so don't let anybody convince you that the tithe is a is a just an Old Testament thing. Listen, when you trust God, the tithe is a great place to start. And if you can't give 10% now, give what you can, but work up to there. Because God, I promise, I promise you, if you'll do what God says, He'll honor it. I, I, I'm just telling you. You'll have everything you need and some of what you want if you'll trust him. But you got to do it. And you need to give proportion. I, my, my time's gone. I don't really have time to, to go further into the Old Testament, New Testament time. But just, just think about this. Let, let me just close by, by saying this. Um, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son, which means he gave the first and the best that he had. That's what that means. And the Bible says that we're saved by grace through faith and that it's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And so, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, God has saved you by his grace freely. God gave his best for you. And the most logical, spiritual thing to do is to give back to God. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus said the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so the most normal spiritual thing for a believer to do is to give. We're more like Jesus when we're giving than we are any other way. So I've got two questions for you. Number one, have you given... Have you been saved? I mean, has Christ come to live in your heart? Do, have you experienced the free gift of eternal life? That's the first question. It's either yes or no. And if your answer is no, then I want to encourage you to give your life to Jesus today because he gave his life for you. The reason we're going to celebrate communion in just a minute is because Jesus gave his life for you and for me. So have you given your life to Christ, yes or no? And if the answer is no, I hope you'll give your life to Christ today. But the second question is, if you've given your life to Christ, do you trust him and honor him in the area of giving? He gave his best for you. Do you give proportionally to him? If not, why not? If not, why not?
God's best for you awaits. You're trusting him with everything that you have. Let's pray together. Father, I know in the auditorium there are some that they've not quite made up their mind about uh, what they need to do about Jesus. Some are not yet believers. Maybe today may even be the first time they've heard the story that Jesus uh, died on the cross for their sin, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And yet, God, my hope is that they realize, Father, that you love them so much that you gave Jesus for them. And God, I would just pray that they would be willing to surrender their life to him in faith today. And so God, for all over the auditorium, there's men and women, boys and girls, some young people who have never been saved. They've never surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. And God, my, you so love the world that you gave your only son. My prayer is, my hope is that right now, right now, they would surrender control of their life to Christ and be saved. And just cry out to you right now, Lord Jesus, come live in my life and forgive my sins. And give me a brand new start. God, the Bible teaches if we'll surrender, if we'll trust, if we'll put our faith in you, we'll be saved. But God, there's others all over the auditorium. There's believers who've been saved, some of them for a few months, some for a few years, some of them for most of their life. And God, my prayer is that in this matter of finances, in this matter of giving, they would learn that you can't outgive God. They would learn that if you, if you reap sparingly or if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. But if you sow generously, you're going to reap generously. It's just a principle, Lord. It's just a truth. It's the way you set up the universe. God, I pray they would learn that and they'd begin to trust you today financially. And so, Father, in these next moments, I pray that you would have your will and your way in every person's heart, in every person's life. God, it's interesting that now that we make the invitation and I make the appeal for people to be saved, to give their life to Christ, Father, as I make an appeal for people to surrender their finances to you, Lord, here we are. It's time to take up our offering because we haven't haven't received our offering. And God, as as our men come to receive the offering this morning, I, I pray that we would be willing... God, not just to, not just to put in a, a check or put in a bill, but God, I pray that as we give the offering this morning, Lord, what we would really do. God, my prayer is what that would happen in the next couple of minutes is just mentally and figuratively, Father, we just give you our heart. That when the plate comes by, it's like we just our hearts going in there. Because when our heart goes to you, so does everything else. And so, God, I pray that you'd take what we bring this morning. I pray that you'd take our money and use it to fund our budget. I pray that you'd take our money and use it to tell the story of Jesus all over the world. But, God, I pray that you'd take our hearts and enlarge our harvest of righteousness. God, I pray that you'd take our hearts make us new make us clean and make us useful for the King God bless this offering for the glory of the Lord Jesus who gave himself up for me
and for us. Glorify yourself through him as my prayer. And I ask it, Father, in Jesus' name.